0: Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Logic podcast, where we dive into the heart of what makes the property market tick on all levels. I'm May-Claire Bolton-Smith, your host and curious observer of all things related to property, from affordable housing to market trends and the impacts of natural disasters to climate change. I want to converse about it all. It's spring, and with spring comes the reality that weather is unpredictable. Every season has its weather hazards, and in the spring, the U.S. is faced with hail season, which is one of nature's costliest weather perils. A 2019 report from the National Insurance Crime Bureau, or the NICB, found that from 2016 through 2018, there were over 811,000 hail loss claims in the U.S. that resulted in billions of dollars in damage because it's so unpredictable not every year is the same story there are broad variations in damage claims from year to year which can make it difficult for insurers to accurately forecast for claims while also making sure to account for the fraudulent activity and outlier years that will require them to tap into their financial reserves it can also make it challenging to accurately identify and track the core of these spring storms and understand the full impact of the damage that this falling ice can inflict so to dive into this, the subject, we've once again called on one of our favorite meteorologists, Curtis McDonald. Curtis, welcome back to Core Conversations.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So our listeners may remember you from episode 14 last season when you tried to convince me to join you tornado chasing, but there's more to you than storm chasing. So first, can you just remind our listeners a little bit about your background before we jump in?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I still still plan to get you out in the field to to go storm chasing. That offer still exists, but nope. uh, my <laughs> my background uh, it's actually meteorology. Uh, as you as you mentioned, I went to the University of Oklahoma, and here at CoreLogic, I am the the director for our weather verification services from a product perspective. So I oversee all of our forensic uh, hail technology, wind technology, tornado technology, and soon to be flood technology. Uh, but really looking forward to uh, dive in and focus on hail today with you.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so let's start with some basic scene-setting questions here. How common is hail anyway? I said it's common. How common is it?
1: Well, it's it's quite common. I mean, it's, it's quite common across the United States, uh, not only the United States, but also in, in other parts of the world, well, other countries, Canada, mm-hmm. uh, parts of uh, Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Um, so it's not just a problem here in the United States. Um, hail can occur really any month of the year, um, so it's not just tied to uh, a specific season, though we do typically see in the United States uh, between uh, April and June is, is our largest uh, time okay. to experience uh, the damage from, from hailstorms.
0: Okay, and we're right in the midst of that right now, so uh, ready for what is ahead of us. So when we look at hail, I know you and I have chatted a little bit as well, too, um, because you are this crazy storm-chasing meteorologist, but 2012 really stands out as a year where hailstorms were particularly destructive. And I think if we look here in the U.S., in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, where there were some freak hailstorms that eventually led to 30,000 residential insurance claims, What is the most severe storm we've seen this year, if we look at 2022 so far, and how does that compare to some of the storms we've seen in the past?
1: Yeah, that's a good question to kind of kick things off here. Um, Well, so far this year has been, from a hail perspective, uh, it's been a little bit of a quiet start, uh, which is uh, typically a little bit common for uh, the season that we're in with the La Niña, we refer to as La Niña, which is actually cooling of waters out in the Equatorial Pacific, can lead to a little less hail activity or maybe a delayed uh, hail uh, season, if you will. Okay. Um, but we're really just getting into um, the, the hail season now, so um, there's there's still a lot of time ahead of us for uh, for these storms to take place. Um, I think the most significant that we saw so far this year was actually um, March the 21st where we saw Mm. uh, quite a bit of tornadoes and uh, some hail activity uh, from those uh, supercell thunderstorms across parts of Texas, uh, parts of Louisiana, um, where uh, particularly Round Rock, Texas was impacted by the tornado. There's also uh, tornadic activity uh, the next day in, in New Orleans. Uh, and then we also had a, a little bit of a hail event in the Dallas-Fort Worth area back in um, uh, late February.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that March 21st event, Curtis. Um, and that reminds me too that at HazardHQ.com, we do dive into that event a little bit more too. We can we can probably link that in the show notes too, to offer listeners a little bit more about that particular storm. Um, you You mentioned... Tornadoes and it triggered another thought with me. I know with with tornadoes we talk about the enhanced Fujita, the EF scale, and with hurricanes we talk about the Saffir-Simpson intensity scale (SSI). But what about hail? Is there a scale to measure hailstorms?
1: Yeah, there's there's really not a scale that that we have for measuring uh, hailstorms. Uh, typically, what we do is just we measure the diameter of a hailstone, um, and we also look at the uh, the the damage costs that these storms uh, occur and that's really the okay the, the scale that we have to, to measure hail
0: okay okay so it's more of a it caused x number of homes to be damaged or x number of dollars in damage total
1: damage yeah so whether okay. that's uh, agriculture uh right. cars automobiles commercial buildings residential homes um you know really anything that's outside is susceptible to uh to these hailstones so it's uh, they can be extremely destructive um, they can range anywhere from, you know, just a uh, very small pea size hail, uh, to as big as we've seen, you know, in the United States upwards of, of six plus inches. Um, personally, I've seen That's almost six inch diameter hail. So it's, uh, they can be extremely destructive and, uh, they really don't leave, they can leave, uh nothing uh, untouched,
0: if you will. Wow, that that is just crazy to imagine six inches of falling ice. And and I'm glad you mentioned all of those different things that can get damaged as well, too, because I think we often just think in terms of property. But the auto is huge with with hail claims, I know, and, and the, the crop damage as well. So thanks for pointing out those those um, other industries that are susceptible to hail. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that as well, too. Um, so, yes, about a year ago, it was actually released in April of last year, and here we are, April of 2022, um, when we talked about your love of storm chasing in episode 14. Um, but I'm I'm curious when we look at weather reports historically, severe hail weather rarely elicits the same level of news and social media coverage that we get from tornadoes or hurricanes. But in these chunks of ice, like six inches, that's huge. That you just mentioned, that can cause significant Significant financial damage. So why do you think the discrepancy exists? Why don't we get the same level of media attention from hail like we do from some of the other weather perils?
1: Yeah, I think uh, that's also a really great question because when you look at, uh, historically speaking, year over year, uh, hail is actually the number one loss for uh, insurance companies uh, over all other perils when you average it out. Now certainly uh, big hurricanes or big wildfires can exceed uh, hail losses in any given year. Um, but I think it's really tied to, um, a lot of the times, uh, the damage can go undetected or it's, it's not really uh, visible from, um, like an aircraft or from like a helicopter where you have, um, you know, the news, news yeah. choppers that provide these, these level of, of destruction after like a tornado or a hurricane, for example. So okay. yeah, they're, this really not uh, as easy to capture in, in media.
0: Sure. No, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, Okay, something that we are going to talk about a lot on this podcast this year is climate change. And anytime we talk about anything related to weather, I need to bring it up. So do you anticipate climate change will affect the severity and frequency of hailstorms in the future? I mean, we're already seeing hail being the most frequent peril. Are we going to get more of them? And are they going to get more severe? Like, do you think we're going to get hailstorms bigger than six inches?
1: Yeah, well, I think that's, um, you know, the million dollar question right now for the the scientific community in particular. Um, there's a lot of research going in just in general for Uh, Not only severe and convective storm perils like hail and tornadoes and and straight line wind events, but hurricanes and wildfires and so forth. But uh, one thing that we may see uh, is an increase in the duration of the hail season uh, Ah, as the climate starts to warm. So there could actually be an earlier start and a later end that could really uh, amount to an extra few weeks or even maybe a few months uh, that we really see peak, uh, the peak season, if you will. Um, And this could this extra time by itself could really increase the amount of hail from a, a climatological sense
0: for sure. Yeah. Um,
1: from a, also from an environmental perspective, it, it's kind of more difficult to say we, we expect conditions, you know, to become more favorable for large hail, but there's also so many conditions and how they interact with each other. Uh, it's really hard to say and how this ultimately may translate into uh, hailstorm frequency and severity. Uh, one thing that we do know is that as temperatures warm across the the globe, um the the atmosphere can actually hold more moisture so that's one of the key components for Mm -hmm. severe and convective thunderstorms that produce these uh these large hail storms um in particular supercells Um, but we also might see a potentially see a decrease in vertical wind shear or wind speeds aloft um, as we're not seeing as strong of of gradients temperature gradients uh, as you move up off the ground so there's just a lot of different variables that um, go into it's a very dynamic obviously supercell thunderstorms or thunderstorms in general Um, and i and i i see that we'll have um, continued to be a a lot of research over the years as we kind of learn and try to project out uh, specific impacts to uh, climate change uh, really on hail tornadoes uh, straight line winds and 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 other perils
0: yeah no definitely really interesting. I know we often talk that it seems like there's not a wildfire season anymore and we're just seeing wildfires year round and and to think that it's possible that that could happen with some of the meteorological perils as well, too. And we could see extending seasons for hail, tornado, severe convective storms, even hurricane season is we're seeing hurricanes earlier and early each year, too. So, yeah, that'll be really interesting to see. I, I guess from if we look at this from an insurance perspective, um, thinking about some of our listeners out there that may be in the insurance industry and knowing that, you know, hailstorms are, aren't going anywhere and very likely could become more severe, more frequent, and seasons could be longer. One thing becomes important is being able to manage them. So can you talk a little bit about why tracking the storms is so important, specifically from an insurance perspective?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, these storms really can can roll in and they can wreak havoc from uh, multiple different states and in multiple different areas of the country uh, almost simultaneously. So from a carrier perspective, it's really important to um, uh, understand where these storms uh, could take place, um, you know, days in advance uh, to, to mm-hmm. allow them to start uh, making and uh, planning, um, you know, staging resources in certain areas. And then uh, more importantly, once uh, if the storms do come to fruition and the hail does actually fall, uh, An impact and cause damage to policyholders. Um, it's really important to know the the number of customers that potentially were impacted. So leveraging uh, uh, forensic data is what we refer to yeah. uh, here at CoreLogic. And that's largely what I support. Again, in, in the intro, I talked about our forensic hail algorithm. Um, we have developed a you know unique product that helps our insurance customers uh, understand the impacts to uh, their policyholders or their portfolio after these hailstorms take place. And, and really, that's that's really important for them to uh, first to start their, their deployment of resources. So um, if, if you had a, an insurance carrier that had uh, 100 policyholders impacted versus you know uh, 1,000, know, their response is going to be quite different. Uh, so it's really important to get that information as, as quickly and accurately as possible um, to know mm-hmm. where they can start expecting the number of claims Uh, for their resource and their deployment of those adjusters into the field to um, start repairing the properties, getting people back to uh, normal following these destructive events.
0: Yeah, I want to dive into that a little bit deeper because this forensic technology is is really important. And I think, you know, many people, when they think of meteorologists, they think that it's simply about forecasting. But we're not looking at forecasting here. We're really talking about forecasted data versus observed and verified what exactly did happen. So can you talk a little bit deeper about that? You kind of touched on that, but a little bit more about why this data is so important for verifying claims and why why it really matters to insurers.
1: Yeah, well, unfortunately, the day that age that we're in today, there's just a lot of data that exists, and and mm. I mean, there's there's good and bad there because um, you know, there's there's good data, there's and then there's not so good data, right. um, and it, it really comes down to uh, ultimately what that data or that uh, technology um, that data set was originally developed for, uh, and we see uh, here in the United States, uh, given the the federal government under. Uh, NOAA, which stands for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Mm -hmm. Um, it's a large uh, federal organization that houses um, uh, things like the, the National Hurricane Center, the Storm Prediction Center. Um, the uh, National Severe Storms Laboratory. So a lot of uh, federal agencies and uh, research goes into uh, forecasting um, because they're, they're really focused on protecting life and property of US citizens. So a lot of their uh, research models, technologies are really all in that forecasting space. Right. So how we can get better at predicting these events, how we can get better at warning these events um and it really stops there um they don't do a lot in the the forensic space so once the events do take place um you know that's really where core logic and the private sector is coming in and providing some of that information um but if you look at as i mentioned there's a lot of data Um, you know you got to look at the the source of that data and what was it originally developed for Um, and because the the forecasting data that's uh, that's developed by these federal agencies it's all taxpayer funded Uh, a lot of that uh, those algorithms, those products get uh, made readily available in the public domain. Um, so we see a lot of different um, companies out there that are, le- are using forecasting data uh, for forensic analysis. And that's really problematic because when you really peel back all the layers and look at why that data was developed, again, it was for initially developed for forecasting purposes right. and specifically yeah. with Hale um they're actually designed by nature to um almost predict a worst case scenario Oh, so, interesting. yeah so if and it makes a lot of sense and it works really well for a forecasting application uh, so mm-hmm. let's say i'm a, a meteorologist at the national weather service and and i'm responsible for issuing severe thunderstorm warnings out ahead of these hailstorms in the dallas fort worth metro um, i don't want to issue a severe thunderstorm warning for one inch diameter hail And then all of a sudden, Dallas-Fort Worth is impacted by tennis ball size hail at two and a quarter, two and a half inches. Right. I'd much rather have that information coming to me from this technology saying, you know, hail possible up to two and a half inches. And I put that warning out and let's hope that it's smaller hail. Yeah. Um, so the problem is if you have data that was originally developed for forecasting and you try to use it in a forensic setting saying this is what actually did happen, um, it's not going to work very well. So in, specifically like with hail in this use case that I just discussed, um, if you uh, use that data to try to uh, estimate the number of claims, for example, for an insurance carrier, yeah, um, you're going to typically have over-exaggerated hail sizes, you're going to have over-exaggerated hail paths. Uh, so it is really important to um, understand the data, the data quality, and really use a technology that was developed specifically for forensic analysis, if that's what you're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because it really comes down to the perspective of what what is the intent of data intended to be used for. And a lot of the National Weather Service or, or NOAA data that you talked about their their priority is public safety their priority is keeping people safe and that's why sometimes overestimating or over forecasting what may happen is important and while that may not work from an insurance perspective and why the forensic data is so important it it's important to give people a heads up so that people can protect themselves to stay safe absolutely Okay, so you you just touched on a lot of this on why it's really important for insurers to have forensic data and and really be a part to initiate their catastrophe response plan. But one thing with insurance claims that often comes up is fraudulent claims. So I just wanted to finish off today. Can we talk a little bit about how common is fraud when we look at hailstorms?
1: Yeah, well, unfortunately uh, with hail and just like other... uh, insurance fraudulent claims like theft or vandalism, um, water damage, arson, you know, we do see, see quite a bit of fraud, unfortunately with, with hail claims. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's yeah. multi fronts. Um, but, uh, one of the things that, uh, especially now it's, it's more relevant with this, the rising cost of, of repairs and, and carriers are starting to, uh, raise deductibles, uh, as well as the, um, actual cash value of like a roof for example uh so what it does is it takes into account the depreciation of your roof based on the age uh um, and the quality of the roof um which is called acv actually that just happened to to me here in in oklahoma my my deductible went from uh, one percent up to a percent and a half Uh, so you have these these rising deductible costs you have the amount that these carriers are willing to, to pay out on the roof i think um you know, starts to, to, to make this, this fraud, you know, more common and, and, and ultimately these fraudulent right. practices or these fraudulent claims that come in, uh, make all of us suffer. Uh, it, it's forcing the carriers to start to raise their, uh, their premiums, starting to raise their deductibles. Um, so, so really all of the okay. across the board, you know, everybody is ultimately suffering from, from these, uh, uh, you know, whether it's the, the policyholder themselves or a contractor that might be um, manufacturing uh, damage or attempting, uh, you know, damage to to a roof, uh, you know, mimicking uh, what we see with hail.
0: OK, so that kind of just leads me to one final thought here as, as we're closing is in addition to fraud, then are there any other challenges that the insurance industry is facing from hail that having this accurate forensic data could help them with?
1: Yeah. So in addition to, you know, validating a, a hail claim um, from a fraudulent perspective, um, one of the things that we can help insurers do um, is validate the date of loss. Um, so uh, mm. with hail, as I mentioned kind of earlier in the in the podcast, um, hail can go undetected, or the damage from hail can go undetected, uh, particularly to a roof. And you know, you might have a claim that comes in um, for uh, 12 months, 24 months after that hail took place. Uh, so from a carrier perspective, uh, really understanding that date of loss, uh, making sure that that mm-hmm. policy holder was indeed active or that that policy was uh, valid at the time that the damage actually took place is really important. So that's a, another area that we can help with our forensic technology is is run a historical look back at a specific address or a specific property uh, to see what has happened over the last, um, you know, actually back to 10 years of, of hail activity. Uh, again, just as a tool for uh, carriers or an adjuster to validate um, you know, that hail claim and validate the data loss and to make sure that that policy was indeed active uh, when that damage took place.
0: Wow, well, so interesting, Curtis, and thank you for joining me again, and thank you for being here on CORE Conversations, a Core Logic podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me back again. Uh, look forward to uh, getting you out into the uh, Great Plains of, of Oklahoma and Kansas uh, this spring maybe, and, and seeing some tornadoes and, and hail too
0: we'll talk about that but no <laughs> <laughs> okay and thank you for listening i hope you've enjoyed our latest episode please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released and thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life producer jesse devonins editor and sound engineer Romeo roman and our social media duo of sarah buck and michaela brooks tune in next time for another core conversation